disciplined spiritual teachings that help us grow in our intimacy, in our relationship, in our fellowship with Christ. And this morning, I need to confess something. This morning, we're going to consider the discipline of confession. And so please turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. I do uh, recommend that you have either the Bible or the e-Bible easily uh, available because we are going to be looking at multiple texts of scriptures this morning. But I'd, I'd like us to begin in John chapter 13. It's Thursday night of Jesus' final week before his death and resurrection. He will be arrested later that night. There will be a false trial early in the morning. He will be crucified at 9 a.m. And then darkness will cover the land from noon until his final breath at 3 p.m. And despite the shame, despite the shame of the cross, lurking in the shadows of the night, this is a night of love. This is a night where Jesus is spending his final hours with his disciples. That in itself speaks of his heart. This is what he wants them to know. And the men are reclining at the table, and they're having a Passover meal, and they didn't have chairs. They had small, rectangular, circular chairs that were low to the ground. And so they would prop their heads up using their arm. And their legs and their feet would be outstretched towards, away from the table, because in those days, they wore sandals. And the roads were dusty. And so it makes sense to keep your dirty feet as far away from the food as possible. Just think about how many times we as parents tell our kids, did you wash your hands before you eat? Did you wash your hands before you eat? Imagine the feet, how dirty they were, away from the table. And Jesus on this night displays one of his greatest acts of humility. He he rises from the table and one by one by one he washes his disciples dirty, dusty, smelly feet. Including the feet of Judas. The one who would ultimately betray him with a kiss. So imagine for a moment what that would feel like for Judas, maybe even for Jesus, as Jesus is washing everyone's feet one at a time. Feel the tension, the awkwardness, perhaps even the feeling of shame, maybe even some guilt. You know, Judas at any time could have confessed at any moment his ill ways. He he could have stopped doing what he was going to do and realigned his life towards God's will in light of confession, but, but he didn't. And, and what about the disciple Peter? What was Peter thinking? As Jesus stands up to wash his disciples' feet, Peter realizes what's about to happen. And in verse 6 we read, He, meaning Jesus, came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. (laughs) No, said Peter, you shall never, never wash my feet. No way, no how, forget about it. That's Peter's response. Remember, washing feet, that's something reserved for a servant. Peter 
in the New Testament earlier already recognized, Luke chapter 9, already recognized Jesus as the Christ. Who do people say that I am? Jesus asked Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when Peter was in the boat, and there was that miraculous catch of fish, Peter's response when he recognized who Jesus was, was, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinner. And now Peter is saying, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus responds to him in verse 9, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. <laughs> well, now Peter wants the full bath. <laughs> but he doesn't need a bath. He's already spiritually clean in Christ. He's saved. He's forgiven. He's redeemed because of the work of Jesus, because of the work that Jesus was about to accomplish on the cross. His death, his resurrection. Verse 9, Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answers him, he says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. Of all the things that Jesus could have taught on this night, on the night that he was going to be betrayed, hours before his crucifixion, this is what is most important to him. This is what he wants to communicate to Peter and to his disciples and to us. Peter, you don't need salvation because you're already saved. You just need to clean up. And so the question is, how does a believer, one who is already saved, one who already believes in his heart, confesses with his mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, how does a believer who is already saved clean up? Don't turn there, but the answer is in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, he will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. And so every day, a believer needs to confess to God the dirt and dust of sin accumulated on our feet. Glenn Smith, when he's up here, I think on two different occasions, he has said, confession is good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. Nancy and I, we were married in 2001. Megan was born in 2005. We bought, two, sorry, we bought our house in 2005. Megan was born in 2006. And at that time, I did the stupidest thing in my life. I went and I borrowed against the house that we just bought. And I decided to put it all on a stock called Nortel. Nortel went all the way up to $120. It came all the way down to $20. And I said, oh, it's got to be a great investment. By the way, it is not investment because it wasn't long-term. It wasn't diversified. This was a bet. This was wrong in all ways. And it just kept going down and down and down and down. And so then what do I do? I pray. I say, God, God, if you bring it back to $20, I pray, God, I'll get out of this. I'll sell. And God answers the prayer. And he brings it all the way up to $20. And I get greedy, and I don't sell. And now it's going down and down and down and down 
and we could have lost the house. And so there was shame and there was guilt because I'm thinking, oh God, what I could have done with this money had I put it towards kingdom purposes. Second, Nancy didn't know what I had done. Now, I wasn't hiding it from her because she had given me permission to do these kinds of things. Maybe not this particular thing. But here I am, bought a house, a husband, supposed to be the father, supposed to be the provider. Man, did I blow this. Um, I needed to have my feet washed. I needed to confess. I ask you to turn to Psalm 32. It is written by King David sometime after he committed adultery, exercising his power and influence uh, to sleep with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. David has her husband Uriah killed in battle to cover his sin. And only once confronted by the prophet Nathan for his actions did he say, I have sinned against the Lord. Against the Lord. And so this morning... Uh, fittingly, I've asked Nancy to come up and to read for us Psalm chapter uh, Psalm 32. Follow along with me. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For, night, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was stopped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing. All you who are upright in heart. Thank you. Hug? <laughs> Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. The word blessed in verse 1 is, and 2, uh, is not just used in, in expressions or uh, surprise or endearment or when someone sneezes. Uh, the Greek and, and Hebrew meaning of the word means complete wellness of being. It means profound fulfillment. And notice in this psalm, whom David says is blessed. People who are forgiven are blessed. Now, there are three types of people. There are people who think they are so good that they don't need to be forgiven. There are people who are so bad uh, that they think they can't be forgiven. And then there are people who recognize that they need to be forgiven, 
regardless of whether they think they are good or know how bad they are. And this is only possible, in my experience, when we realize that the greatest thing about us is that God loves us. Right? Bring it to God, God is love. Confess it to God, God is love. Be forgiven, God is love. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. I ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. It's the story of the life of a transformed sinner. Many of you know it. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees, that's an antagonist, that's an, op an opponent of Jesus Christ. Then one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. There's another meal, another table low to the ground. And it says, when a sinful woman, a woman of the street, um, no, notice that it's not the men with whom she spent the night seeking an audience of one. Where are they, right? But there's this woman, a, a sinful woman from that town that learned that Jesus was dining there, and she brings an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stands behind him, it says, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, and the word weeping there means uncontrollable crying. It means a bursting of a dam with tears. She begins to wet his feet with her tears. And the word wet means to rain. She is raining tears. We would say it is pouring cats and dogs. And then she wipes them, her tears, with her hair. And you have to understand that back then when you, would, when you would wet down your hair, this would be grounds of a divorce. This was a shameless uh, emotion. This is, this is shameless emotion and affection. She had no towel, so she wets down her hair. And then it says she kissed his feet. And this is so beautiful, and I'll, and I'll make a link later. But the word kissed, his feet, means this continuous sign of affection, right? The word kiss means it's a clinging. It's a tight embrace. And she's anointing them with the perfume, right? A final act of generosity, of affection, of, of, of worship. And so you have this picture of a sinful woman weeping at Jesus' feet, wetting his feet with her tears, drying his feet with her hair, clinging to his feet in a tight embrace, anointing them with perfume. And then in verse 39, the Pharisees are like, doesn't, doesn't this man know that she is a sinner? And then and Jesus says, Simon, I have, I have something to tell you. I need to tell you this. There are two people. They owe some money. One person owes $50. Another person owes $500. They're unable to repay. So the debtor forgives them. Which one loves them most? And Simon says, I, I suppose the one who has been forgiven more. And Jesus says, you answered correctly. And then he turns towards the woman, but he's still speaking to Simon. And he says, Simon, do you see this woman? When, when I entered your house, you, you didn't give me water uh, for my feet. She wet them with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. You, you didn't even greet me with a kiss. 
She's not stopped kissing my feet. Since I arrived, she anointed, my, she anointed my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. And then here's the key verse, I think, verse 47. I've memorized this. I think of a, of a 747, and whenever I want to remember this. Therefore, I tell you, because her many sins have been forgiven, she has loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. And here's the principle the more you are forgiven, the more you love. Simon, you never confessed your sins. You never asked for forgiveness. You love little. But look at this woman on display. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. What, what does it mean, blessed is he whose sins are are covered. Well, we got to go back to Genesis chapter 3. So I'm going to ask you to join me in Genesis chapter 3. Beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord had that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, "Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden?" Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but about the fruit of the trees in the middle of the garden, God has said, you must not eat it or touch it. You will die. Verse 4, you will not surely die, serpent says, for God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and that it was desirable for attaining wisdom, she took the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Verse 7, here's the key verse. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, so they sewed together fig leaves and made coverings for themselves. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. After they eat the fruit, they realize that they're naked, and they urgently made earthly coverings for themselves. Why? Because nobody wants to be uncovered. Nobody wants to be exposed. Nobody wants to deal with a loss of righteousness. No one wants to experience the loss of moral beauty. Tim Keller, in a sermon on confession, he cites the story written by Jean-Paul Sultry in his book called In Nothingness. And he says, imagine there is a keyhole. And by looking through this keyhole, you're able to secretly see and watch and hear what others are saying and doing. Now, there is certain power in being able to secretly watch and listen in on the lives of other people. Think of Tony Klakos in Survivor by the well for the youth. And then the subject who is watching the object hears a noise and turns around and realizes that behind them there's another keyhole. And someone else is watching them. So the subject who is watching the object now becomes the object of another subject. And you know what? That is dehumanizing. Why? Because we as individuals, we want to control what other people see, what other people hear, 
what other people see about us. That's why we're so careful about what we post on social media. And when someone has full access to our lives through a keyhole, wow, now I'm exposed. Now there's some shame. Now there's some guilt. And, and we can't bear the thought of having all of our closet skeletons exposed. And so what do we do? We work a little harder. We work a little harder to be a, bit, a little bit more accomplished, to be a little bit more successful. To not disappoint our single mother who's had the burden of raising her children on her own. To show our father that even though he left us for another, it would not define us. So we take the fig leaves of this world, we take our work, we take a bottle, we take pornography, or any other vice, and we sew them together, hoping to cover our shame and our guilt and our brokenness, because what our soul is really thirsting for is attention, it's affirmation, it's affection, it's acceptance, it's significance, it's satisfaction, it's security. But instead of finding our hiding place in God, who satisfies our deep, 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 deep thirst, we return to the fig leaves. And then we try to have them cover us up. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Psalm 32, verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For by day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained as in the summer heat. No towel has come down. It's gone from 20 to 10. Remember, I've borrowed against this. This is not money that I have. I've confessed to God, but I haven't confessed to Nancy. I couldn't sleep. I'm talking not, not just days, but weeks, maybe at this point months, because it doesn't just go down in a straight line. It's a little at a time. I have no appetite to eat. Guilt has absolutely consumed me because I feel like I have absolutely disappointed her. David says that when he kept silent, his bones became brittle. That means hard, but able to shatter easily from his groaning, his pain all day long. I know what he's talking about. God's hand was heavy upon him. His, his strength felt drained. It felt sapped, right? And this is what God does when we stubbornly live with unconfessed sin. You see, God has a way of pressing down on the silence of unconfessed sin and allowing us and me to groan in my stubbornness and seeping all of my strength, of your strength, of our strength, like a plant. My daughter loves plants. Like a plant exposed to the heat, the sun of summer, without any wire, right? Without any water. I read a story of how shepherds would deal with a wayward sheep. A sheep who wouldn't listen, who was disobeying. You see, the shepherd, it's not my story, and I believe it's true, the shepherd in dealing with that wayward sheep would intentionally break its leg. 
And then that sheep would need to have his leg bandaged. It would need to have his leg cleaned. He would need to uh, be regularly cared for. And so that sheep would then have to be carried on the shoulders of the shepherd until it was able to walk on its own. And, and during that healing process, that sheep would spend a lot of time on the shepherd's shoulders. He would hear his voice. He would depend on him for everything. He would learn to trust him. And in the process, that sheep would begin to love the shepherd. So that when that sheep was ready to walk on his own, guess what? He would stay close to the shepherd. Why? He would follow him everywhere. Why? Because he had learned to love him. David, with his brittle bones, he is finally ready to acknowledge his sin and, and confess. And that's what we read in verse 5. Then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not hide my inequity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And there you have it. I will confess. What is confession? The word confession means to say the same thing. The word confession means to say the same thing. The word confession means to say the same thing. You'll remember it now. The word confession means to say the same thing. But it's more than just repeating the same thing. It's about a change of perspective. No excuses. No blaming. Here's the key. No covering. Then I, then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not hide my inequity. We recognize we sinned. We repent. We turn away from it. Now, if we confess and say, Lord, Lord, I am truly sorry, and then sin exactly the same way, and confess again, Lord, Lord, I am truly sorry, and then confess the exactly the same way without changing, and then repeating it over and over again. That's not true confession. That's not true confession. We read in Psalm 32, verse 9, Do not be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding. They must be controlled with bit and brittle to make them come to you. David speaks about mules. After a weekend at the ranch, let's talk about horses. The horse has a bit in its mouth. Why? It's to help the rider control the speed and the direction of movement of the horse. And so you, you pull on the left rein and you kick the horse with your left foot and the horse is going to go left. But for those of you who have spent a summer on a horse, you know that as you're on that horse, the horse sees a little bit of apples in the tree up there on the right, and the horse tends to wander over here, and the next thing you know, you're, you're ducking the branches, and you're trying not to be torpedoed off the horse, and so you kick the horse a little harder, and you pull a little harder on that rein, right? Because you don't want to get thrown off that horse, and then the, the horse turns left because I kicked it with my foot, because I pulled it with the rein. You see, the reason the horse is turning left, it's because it does not like the pain or the consequences of the kick. It doesn't like the pulling of the bit in its mouth. You see, it has nothing to do with the heart of the rider. And until we 
until David, until I, until you, until we see the heart of God and the pain and consequence of our sin, then there's going to be a lot of self-pity, but very little guilt. And you see this in marriages. I remember we had a Bible study years ago. Four couples went through some pretty good questions about marriages. You know what? The wife says to the husband, I'm ready to leave you. He's not willing to change before that, but now she says, hey, I'm willing to leave you. And so the bags are packed, they're at the door. Oh, now he's willing to go to counseling. And he goes to counseling. And uh, he goes through all of it, and he says the right things, and then counseling is over a couple of weeks later. And they go back to the house, and they see that she's not really going to leave him, that she's not going to, you know, stuff's unpacked. And then he goes back to his old ways. Until, and until he understands that he has hurt his wife, until he puts himself in her shoes, until he understands her heart, there is unlikely no real change. And I wonder if sometimes we even do that with God, right? God who created us, who sustains us, who does everything, who wants this relationship of intimacy, of fellowship, of friendship, and he's just waiting, and yet we're just doing our own thing. True confession involves an apology and turning away from our sin. Confession to God means agreeing that I am a sinner and turning away from it. It's not just about the words that I speak. Oh, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. It's about the attitude of the heart. And David knew that he was first and foremost, or he had sinned first and foremost against the heart of God, against God's heart, against God's mind, against God's will. And so true confession, when it looks at sin, realizes sin requires judgment, sin appeals to mercy, and sin requires cleansing. Then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not hide my inequity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David needed God to make him clean. David needed God to heal him physically. David needed God to forgive him. Against you and you only have I sinned. That's David's confession. Reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. Let's turn there. We spent, I'm smiling because we spent time there on two different occasions this morning during the breaking of bread. But there's a couple of things that I want us to see. It's in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We all know the story of the prodigal son. But I hope to maybe just show you something a little bit different that maybe you hadn't seen before. And beginning in verse 11. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger son said to him, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now listen, this is a shameful act. Okay, The readers hearing the story know that this is a shameful act. Sons don't ask fathers for their inheritance while the fathers are still alive. It is shameful. Guilty, shameful. But the father, guess what he does? He divides the property. And that's equally shameful to the hearers. There's no way a father would ever do that. And it says in verse 13, after a couple of days, the son has gone out. He squandered all of his wealth. It says on wild living. And then after he had spent all that he had, there's a famine. He's in need. 
He desires to offer his services, to hire himself out, to be helpful with his hands in the fields, feeding with the pigs. And, and it says, finally, he comes to his senses. And we were reminded that this morning. He comes to his senses, and he says, how many of my father's hired servants have plenty of food? Right? He's thinking about this. And, and he goes, I'm starving to death. And then he comes up with a plan. In verse 18, it says, I will go up and back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And as he's walking and he's thinking about this, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be your son. Call, make me one of your servants. And he's practicing and he's rehearsing this. And it says in verse 20, So he got up and went to his father. And while he's still in the distance, his father sees him. And he's filled with compassion. And he runs to his son. Again, that's a shameful act. Father's of that, of that rank. They just didn't do that. And it says he embraces him. And it says he kissed him. And this is what I wanted to show you. The word kissed him there is the same word kiss that we saw in Luke chapter 7. It's the Greek word here for clinging, compassion, holding on tightly. That's the father's embrace of the prodigal son when he returns home. Imagine that reunion, that embrace, that son. Well, how is his father going to react to him? The father's just waiting for the son. And there's that kissing, that weeping, that embracing, that clinging. And then the son tells the father exactly that what he rehearsed. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be called your son. But before he can continue... Father stops him there. The son never got to say, make me a, one of your hired servants. He cut him off. It was over. Never got to say it. Never got to speak those words. It wasn't conditional what was to come next. And then the father says, bring the best robe, put a ring on his finger, and sandals on those feet. And we all know how dirty those feet were. The father was waiting for his son with open arms. Those are the same open arms we see on the cross. Jesus, stripped naked, completely exposed, being watched through a keyhole, completely uncovered so that we can be covered. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Everything bad we did transferred to Jesus' account. Everything righteous that he did transferred to our account. And then David in Psalm 32 and verse 7 writes, You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Confession means we no longer have to hide from God. Confession means we can hide in God and that he will protect us from trouble because the greatest thing about me and you is that we are loved by God. Confession means that the sound of our groaning is replaced with songs of deliverance. Confession means no more covering up of our inequity. Confession means a daily washing of our feet. Vulnerable, unguarded, transparent, 
Everything about us, including our darkest secrets, revealed, exposed, brought out in the light, without any shame, that's intimacy. Nancy, <laughs> I have something to tell you. <laughs> I told you I had already confessed with God. I was good with God. Many sleepless nights, lost a lot of weight. Had to tell Nancy the financial hole we were in. What would she say? This was her response. Stephen, I don't care about the money. I care about you and your health. Do what you got to do to move on. And then she gave me a hug. A sign of affection like that woman at Jesus' feet. Like the prodigal son in the arms of his father. Like Jesus does for every one of us. I sold what was left of my position in Nortel, and I took the loss just in time because in the not-too-distant future, Nortel would go bankrupt, and we would have lost everything. Confession, good for the soul, bad for the reputation. I want to leave us with three questions. Three questions. One. Do we regularly confess our sins to God? Think about it. He already knows about everything. He knows what we've done, and he loves us unconditionally. So why not embrace the washing of our feet, knowing that when we confess to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins? Two. Second question. Is there someone in your life, maybe here this morning, Maybe at home, maybe at work, maybe a lost friend. Ishi spoke about it when she was up here today, when she would have arguments with her sister, right? Is there someone to whom we need to confess something to? Let me suggest you pray about it before you approach that person. And also, be wise in how you approach that person. Be careful in the words that you select. You just don't want to dump everything on them at once. Be mindful of your demeanor. Trust God with the results. And third and last question. If we are the ones that someone else is confessing to, how do we respond to the one who has mustered the courage to approach us with the said confession? As much as possible, if possible, when possible, I want you to respond with a hug of affection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as Christians, we are all called to we are all called to confess sin. It is part of our Christian walk. As believers, we thank you that we are already forgiven, that we are already bathed, but we ask you to clean our dirty feet daily through confession. This morning, afternoon, we want to confess any lingering sin. 
We recognize that we have sinned against you. And we ask that you help us turn away from it. Help give us the strength to break the chains that bind us. Thank you that through Jesus' death and resurrection that we are free and that there is power in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you were uncovered so that we may be covered. So help us not to hide in the things of the world to create our own fig leaves, but to find our hiding place in you. Help us to love much because we have been forgiven much. Thank you for the best robe. Thank you for the ring on our finger. Thank you for the sandals on our dirty feet and the warm, affectionate embrace that is found in confession. And we pray that through our continued daily confession that we would all have a greater intimacy with you. And so please wash our feet that through forgiveness we will continue to be blessed and be filled with a complete wellness of being, a life of profound fulfillment, groaning replaced with songs of deliverance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a blessed Sunday.